as you know, from time to time, we have a question and answer period. Um, this is going to be a little bit different version of that because there are people who write questions uh, in letters, and there are also uh, questions that come up over and over again in counseling. And so we are taking the tradition of uh, long answers to short questions, which you all know so well, uh, and to an extreme. Uh, you will have no questions. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will merely give you the answers this morning. This first one, probably, possibly this first one is, is the question that comes up most often in one form or another. Possibly it is the only question that anyone ever asks. What is the quickest way home? And that is so simple to answer, and yet we make it so difficult. And that's why I repeated that reading from the Course this morning. What is it we are seeking? We are seeking to know that our Father loves us because we do not know that. We do not believe that. We do not feel loved, and we do not feel at peace. We are not separate from God, but we certainly are dreaming that we are separate from God, and we certainly feel separate from God, and separate from everything that God has made, all of our brothers and our sisters and all living things. We feel so separate from them. And so what is our goal? It is simply to join with God, to wake in God, to be one with God. God is our goal. On a spiritual path, the means and the end are the same, at least in nature. They are not the same in extent, but they are the same in nature. And so the way to peace is simply to be at peace. The way to happiness is simply to be happy. And so what of these things? What of tarot readings and um, messages from the Ouija board and having your chart done and throwing the I Ching and palmistry? Oh, I, uh, I think I told you the story. I was in, uh, I think it was in Vancouver, and uh, a woman came up to me. She was the uh, head of a, of a uh, medical center. And she got me off to the side, and she said, uh, no one knows this, but I read palms. May I read your palm? And I said, sure. So she looked at my palm. She said, you have no career line. <laughs> That's the way it feels sometimes. <laughs> and books, endless books, books on uh, the lost knowledge and the hidden meaning and uh, little-known spiritual truths. I just love that. Little-known spiritual truths. <laughs> row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. That's the only truth there is. <laughs> uh, dream interpretations and table tipping and uh, hypnotic trances designed to trigger the, the unconscious and numerology and automatic writing and 
advanced meditation techniques and past life regressions and uh, the latest guru in town. What of all those things, and we could make a list of a hundred, there isn't anything wrong with any of those things. They're simply a tool. But people delay themselves endlessly by seeking one means after the other. And as long as you are seeking to increase your knowledge of means, you are going nowhere. Now, the thing that can be deceiving about this is that every time you switch means, and you've never had your chart read, or you've never been regressed, or you've never crawled on the floor and screamed, or whatever it is you're going to do now, there indeed appears to be a spurt of progress. And this is what can be deceptive. There's, and so for... Ten days at the most, you go around trying to convert all of your friends to uh, organ therapy or whatever the thing is. <laughs> and indeed, it's a fine therapy and it's a fine technique and all, all these things are useful tools. But all that you do is go around in a circle. Your, your little spurt of learning simply propels you in a circular direction. And after many, many years of this searching and searching and searching of new ways to say the truth, new techniques to open your heart, you find that you have made little progress indeed. And if you can't see that in yourself, possibly you can see it in some other people who are always chasing after some new way when the way is so simple. Now, as I say, that there's, of course, nothing wrong with any of these means. Those of you who have read uh, my book, uh, There's a Place Where You're not, not Alone, know that in the beginning, as a matter of fact, this kept it out of the Christian bookstores. <laughs> uh, there is an opening chapter there in which I tell about uh, the many years that I had been an atheist. And then we went over to these people's house and they told this story about how they had lived in this haunted house and um, they were very scared of the spirits there. At least they thought they were haunted. And Someone came by almost as if by magic, uh, knocked on their door and told them how to communicate with the ghosts. And uh, it had to do with a water glass and so forth. So they used this and got the spirits to uh, quieten down, you know, uh, behave themselves. Uh, so they said, well, we're going to do this tonight uh, again. This is the first time we've all been together and in these many years, and would you like to join us after dinner? And Gail and I said, uh, sure. Um, so we sat around this kitchen table, and they put a water glass upside down in the middle of the table, and we all put our hands on the glass. Uh, and the glass started moving. There was uh, someone had cut out uh, the letters of the alphabet, put it in a circle. And on, the outs on the outskirts of the table is the circle of letters and numbers, and uh, zero. Yes and no, I think, was also there. So the glass started moving. And uh, it's indicated that it had uh, a message for Gail. I think I've told you this story. Uh, and the message was, your function is to love. I was so happy with that message. <laughs> so happy. I... I knew she had not been fulfilling her function. 
I got that one straight. So then um, the facilitator asked if there was uh, another message indicated. No, no, at that point, I asked, being uh, the professional cynic that I was in those days, from whom was the me message coming from? And it indicated that it was coming from Jesus. So that was great fun. I, you know, I couldn't think of anything funnier than that. No one was laughing, but I thought that was very funny. And so then the message, then it had a message for me, which sobered me up a little bit. <laughs> love, it said. Love man. Please love man. Over and over and over again. That plus a very simple little piece of advice that I happened to need in my life at that time about whether or not I should take a trip. Those two things came over and over, and the person who was facilitating it got very exasperated. So, yes, we understand. We understand that. Is there something new? Do you have anything else? And it would say, yes, love. Love man. Please love man. So then, out of desperation, she said, uh, well, uh, how many past lives has he had? And we'll get down to the, you know, the real nitty-gritty thing. It said zero. <laughs> she, uh, then she said, uh, she seemed to pay no attention to that, I noticed. <laughs> That's the kind of impression I make on people. Uh, then she said, um, when did he die last? And it said, 1957. She said, oh, that's a mistake. And I said, no, that's not a mistake. I said, up until 1957, I was very, very devo devoted. And the way I used to express my devotion to myself over and over again was I would say to myself, I only have one thing to do in life, and that is to love man. So uh, that was the beginning of Gail's and my spiritual path. Now, I don't know how many years ago that was, 10 possibly. Now, Gail and I tried the water glass after that, and we started getting all kinds of crazy things. I, there was a spirit named Jane that just gave us the craziest sex manual kind of advice, you know. But, <laughs> ridiculous. So we quickly realized that that was it. You know, it had served its purpose. What more did we need than that? That our function is to love. And who are we to love? We're to love each other. We're to love everyone. We're to love our brothers and sisters. What else is there to learn beside that? I know a woman who uses a Ouija board, and she's used it for so many years that there is no fear whatsoever attached to her use of that board. And she gets the most beautiful, simple, clear messages. They're just these simple, shining truths that come from this. Most people could not take up the Ouija board without considerable anxiety, whether they were conscious of it or not. And of course, the anxiety would show itself in the means. And so there is no need to switch means endlessly. And that is why at the dispensable church, we talk only about one means. It isn't that it's the, the best means or a perfect means or anything like that. But it is an adequate means. It is all you will need. And it is a course in miracles. The 365 lessons will give you everything that you would possibly need. And so the quickest way home is to select your means, not necessarily a course in miracles, but to select your means and begin. And when you get in trouble, what do you do? 
Do not turn to more means. Don't go to talk to more people. Don't read more books. Don't try more techniques. Do two things. Do you remember uh, the cartoon uh, Tweety Bird? Tweety Bird, you know, uh, was always being chased by Sylvester. Uh, this is the only television that we're allowed now in our household, the four-year-old boy. Um, so the two things that you do are T for Tweety and S for Sylvester. T and S. You try harder and you be more simple. So it's try and simple. T and S. You try harder. Yes, indeed, you try harder but you become simpler. If you become more complicated, then your, your attention will fix on the means and not on the goal. And you will spin your circles. Yes, you may be very, it may be very impressive, all the things you've done and all the systems you've tried and all the knowledge you have. But I can tell you that, that the person who's selling newspapers to cars that stop at a, a stop line, a stop sign, is making faster progress than, than you if that individual does nothing more than simply attempt to love and forgive every passenger of every car. And they know nothing. They know nothing of the, 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 the systems and so forth. And that is, the, that is the fastest way home. It seems dull because there isn't this periodic excitement that we've mentioned here so many times all the psychic phenomena and the visions and extraordinary dreams and foreseeing of the future, retrocognition and little, little things jumping around on tables and chandeliers sparkling and goosebumps. We don't offer you goosebumps at the, uh, at the dispensable church. Nothing wrong was, is with any of those things, but I can tell you this is fake progress. There is no trick to, as they say in AA, getting in touch with your higher power. And people torture themselves. How do I get in touch with my higher power? How do I know God? If you know peace this instant, you know God. If you are happy, if you can look at a child and see these bright, sparkling eyes and, his, and just laughter pouring out of, its, out of its mouth for that few seconds before it's told to behave, it knows God. It is so simple. The way to get to God is to be more like God this instant. Not to plan to be more like God but to sink into now, because now is God. To sink into a deep relaxation that is pure peace and acceptance. How can you be relaxed if you aren't accepting the people around you, if you are warring with them, if you are telling yourself that your opinion is not this, that's not the way you said it, you've got it all wrong. How can you do that if this dialogue is going on in your mind? What is wrong with acceptance? If the world is an illusion... Are there any mistakes to be made? Does it really matter how someone says it? And so you sink into acceptance, into peace, into love, as best you can. Sometimes you can do it better than other times. But you settle only for the best you can this instant. 
and you practice certainty that you are doing the best you can. You strive for that sense of certainty that I am as peaceful as I can be in this situation, which may not be very peaceful, but it's as peaceful as you can be and you're certain of it. And when you do that, you begin walking home. Oh, uh, Tweety, you, you remember how Tweety Bird talked, don't you? I taught a tall putty tat. I did, I did, I did tall putty tat. Now, if, if someone opened the uh, cage, what would Tweety Bird say? I'm free, I'm free. <laughs> F-W-I. Ha, ah, that. F-W-I. Free, free. All right. That if you want to, if you want a way to think of the means, do everything from peace, and with peace, and in peace. Close your eyes just for a moment and see if you can get a sense of that. First of all, you're going to do everything from peace. You are in a place of peace. You are the calm center in the storm. You are the lily that's on the pond the muddy, scummy pond. Picture this lovely lily right in the middle of this scudgy old pond. Do you notice how the muddy water laps up on the lily? But it doesn't stick. It rolls off. The lily simply sheds it. It causes no disturbance in the pond by its shedding. It calls no attention to itself by its letting go. It floats. It does not sink. It provides a resting place for the fauna, for the frog or the dragonfly, because it does not sink. Perhaps the frog is being chased by a water moccasin. The, the, uh, the water lily does not get caught up in the frog's terror. If it did, it would sink. It remains calm. That's what you want to be, a place of calm. You want to do all things from peace. And what you do, you want to do in peace. And so you take your, your peace with you as you do it. And you do it in peace. From peace, with peace, and in peace. And so peace is your goal. Peace is your purpose. So what do you do? What will make you peaceful? Can you change your mind? Of course you can change your mind. Because your purpose is peace. If you suddenly see it would be more peaceful to do this other thing, then of course you change your mind. From, with, and in peace. So with your eyes closed, let me lead you in a little meditation. Simply say these words, first of all, in your mind. I want the peace of God. Just silently say that. From your heart, in peace, from peace, say the words. I want the peace of God. I want the peace of God. See that you mean it. See that more than any other want, any other desire, you indeed want the peace of God. And now, notice that certain thoughts come to your mind. So this is a little exercise now I'm going to ask you to do. 
you will see certain thoughts come to your mind. They, they may just sort of flip through. Catch those thoughts and hold them for just an instant, long enough to see the thought. So you're going to take any other thought beside the one, I want the peace of God, and look at it. So do that now. Each thought, any thought at all that's in your mind. See what purpose it has. It has another purpose. What do you want with this thought? What do you think you want with that thought? What is the want behind this other thought? Any thought at all, any hint of a thought, look at it and ask yourself, what purpose is this thought? What is the desire behind this thought? You know the thoughts that are in your mind. They're still there. What thought beside I want the peace of God is still there? And please notice that as you do this, you have fewer and fewer thoughts. Do you notice this calming of the mind? Perhaps there's a little flurry at the beginning. But as you look at each thought and see what purpose it holds, you do not want it. It is gone. And so your mind becomes still. Let it become still. And now, on this clean slate of your mind, write your one true desire. I want the peace of God. Do you see that you cannot want the peace of God without starting to have it? That's how you can tell a spiritual wish. It is fulfilled in the asking. Okay. Okay. So, uh, as I said, these are just questions that have come up. Counseling, letters, and things like that. One of the ones that comes up so frequently is, what should I do in life? What is my, what should my career be? I want this career. I want this work. I don't feel like the work I'm doing is spiritual enough or it's not meaningful enough. Uh, this, this whole kind of thing. What, what is my function? What am I to do? After a while, you'll see that this is a very, very funny question. Because you have no function in the world except to be at peace. And what you do to be at peace will change from time to time. And, it, and you may not be consistent as the world views consistency. Because if peace is your goal, you are free to change your mind. You are free to change your career. But you don't do it out of fear. Now we've talked here before about pausing in peace, seeing what it is you want to do, and then not reconsidering. That means not reconsidering on the, on the basis of worry. If you can see clearly that this is not bringing you peace, that perhaps there is something else that would bring you more peace, 
then it's fine to pause again and to change your mind. No book has to be finished. No TV program has to be watched to the end. No, You don't have to wait until someone else leaves the party before you leave the party. You are free to do anything as long as you practice your one desire, which is to seek simple gentleness and kindness and peace. And so what is your career? Your career is whatever you wish it to be this instant. And so you take whatever steps you wish to take. So let's say, for example, that you would like to be a... Uh, I don't know if I've told you this story, but Gail has always had in the back of her mind to be a nurse. And so she realized that this was not going away. So she went to... Uh, UNM and she had an interview uh, and uh, came back and said, oh, it's just a marvelous program and so forth. And I gave them my background and so forth. And they said that they wanted me and everything. So that was the first thing she did. She did it because it was peaceful for her to do so. She closed her eyes and she said, this question is not making me peaceful. Always handle the question and not the answer. It is the it is the subduing, it is the putting to rest the question that you wish and not the answer. Don't try to figure out whether the answer is right or wrong. Just put the question to rest. So to put the question to rest of should I go for an interview, she went for an interview. And then the question was, should I fill out the forms? And so she filled out the forms because it was peaceful for her to fill out the forms. And then she asked herself, would I like to mail the forms in? And I forget how long ago that was. The forms have never been mailed in. It wasn't peaceful. So she pursued a nursing career. Everything is just step by step, moment by moment, a little piece here and a little piece there. So, so she had uh, sent them in. So she had gone to nursing school. So she had gotten her degree. Then what would she do? Where would she go work? Would she work for a, a private uh, family and take care of someone who's in, indigent? Would she work uh, at a hospital? What would she do? Would she perhaps be a teacher? And then what would she do? What would she do after she had been at the hospital for three years or four years? You see, it never comes to rest. The question of what is my career never comes to rest. Does anyone arrive at the hospital and say, Oh, boy, this is it forever. They, no, they don't do that, do they? No, they want to be on a, in another ward. Or they want to become a supervisor. Or they want to change the time of their shift. Or something like that. You see, it never ends. And so, of course, we must not get caught up in answering this question in the future, but answer it to your heart's content in the present. Pursue anything you wish to. Drop it whenever you wish to. Because your sole criterion is, does this bring me more peace? Does this add to my peace? And if it does, continue doing it. If it doesn't, you simply let it go and ask yourself, what would I like to do now? Now, of course, it is good to take care of certain basic questions, such as, where will I get the money with which I'm going to live? And so it's often good, it's usually best, in fact, to have a job 
that you can rely on. So you've got a steady source of income. And so, of course, that must be taken into consideration before you give up your job and start hunting another job because your purpose is peace. Will it add to your peace to have no livelihood? Possibly the, the, the job is so disturbing that it would add to your peace to go ahead and quit it and then start looking for another job. And so, of course, you look at the whole effect on your life. You don't start considering uh, ramifications and all that just in your heart you simply look and ask yourself, what do you want to do? Your heart will take care of all the side questions and issues. You don't have to get into some sort of worrying about all this because you cannot get to the end of the factors you haven't considered. No matter how many factors you've considered, someone else will bring up another one. Or you'd read another one of bookiness or it'll suddenly occur to you walking down the street, oh, I didn't consider this. And now the whole decision's up in the air again. But your heart is the place of your peace, and all you wish to do is to unite with your Father and walk in peace. And so turn to your heart. Trust your heart and not your worry. Look in your heart and see what your peaceful preference is. It may not be a perfect sign, but it's a gentle leaning. Trust it. That is your way home. It makes no difference whether you become a nurse or a stockbroker or anything else. My son was a Baptist preacher, and he's now a stockbroker, and he is more peaceful being a stockbroker than he was being a Baptist preacher. That doesn't, that, of course, that's not true of everyone. Lots of people would go the other way around. They would stop being a stockbroker and become a Baptist preacher. It doesn't make any difference. Because what you want is more God in your life, more peace in your life, more gentleness in your life. And so don't be afraid to do anything aside from hurting someone else that will bring you more peace. And that leads sort of into the next uh, question, which has to do with selfishness. And this is a question that concerns many people. Am I selfish? Yes. <laughs> That's very good. You must understand this. Um, Let's all say this together. I am selfish. If you don't think you're selfish, you are not aware of your ego because your ego is selfish. And as long as you have an ego, you will be selfish. But it's also good to see how the selfishness works so that you can be less selfish because it is not happy to be selfish. How are we selfish? We are selfish when we have a goal that takes us out of the present. So let's say, for example, that um, your child comes up and asks you a question, and it's during the commercial break. So you now have two purposes. One is to answer your child's question, and the other one is to see when the commercial break is going to be over because your favorite program is going to start just a minute, and Tom Selleck is just oh so cute. And <laughs> all right. You are being selfish. Whenever you have a goal beside being gentle and peaceful and at rest in the present, you will be selfish. Your child will feel your anxiety and your child will feel separate from you and will not probably understand why this is even happening, why it even has this feeling. If you are sick and you have the goal of getting back to the office Monday and you're not getting well, over the weekend, 
you will not be kind to your body. You will be selfish to your body. You will not give it the care and the attention and the compassion that your body needs because you are saying, I must get back to work on Monday. And so you will not give it the rest that it needs. You will not give it the simple medication, perhaps, that would make it feel better. You will push it and knock it around a little. You at least verbally abuse it. Make nasty comments as you pass the mirror. See? When you are driving and you have the goal of getting someplace within a certain period of time, you will be selfish. You will be selfish to your own safety, you'll be selfish to your car, and you'll be selfish to the drivers who are around you. You will become more accident prone in your selfishness. Anything that we do in which we have a goal beside the peace of God this instant will make us automatically selfish. If you're standing talking to someone and you're wishing the conversation to end, you will be selfish. But the th reason that you perhaps are telling yourself that you, that you want the, the conversation to end is that you're more spiritual than this person and that you're further along and that they're not, you know, they're saying all this ego stuff. But you're, you set the goal of, of getting away from them and so you're on exactly the same level that they are. That's what calls, causes selfishness, having a goal beside this instant. And the remedy is tell yourself what you're doing and do it as peacefully as you can. That's how simple it is to get home to God. If you were to do nothing but that, that would take you straight into the heart of God. Tell yourself what you're doing and do it with as much peace as you can. How do you think peacefully? How do you meditate Tell yourself what you're thinking and think it with as much peace as you can. You don't try to change your mind. You don't try to push one thought out and bring another thought in. That's fighting. That's making a reality. That's, that's saying uh, that you have some particular core that you must get rid of, some propensity that's unwanted. And so now you're in a battle with yourself. If you will try to think what you are now thinking with as much peace as you can, if it is an ego thought, it will evaporate of itself. You cannot think an ego thought in peace. If you wish a criterion as to whether or not the thought comes from God or whether it comes from your ego, if you will simply think in peace, you will not be able to pursue the ego line of thought. How much simpler could our way home be than that? Okay, here's the, uh, here's the next one. Now, I just finished saying, you say you should never say anything because then you <laughs> prove yourself to be a liar so quickly. I just said to some people a few days ago that this is something I would not discuss because so many people uh, misunderstand it. Um, but I think I will discuss it, and I will try to say it in such a way that it won't be misunderstood. One of the things that we've talked about so often here, here is do not get caught up in a sense of sacrifice and martyrdom on your way home. And this is a favorite thing that people do. And this is one of the reasons they add all this stuff that we listed earlier to their spiritual path, all these new techniques and ways and new forms of trying. It's to burden themselves down so much 
that they make no progress. If, you're, if your walk is to freedom, if God is perfect freedom, how can you get there by encumbering yourself and doing things that irritate you and giving yourself a sense of sacrifice? So the first rule is don't do anything out of a sense of sacrifice and burden. However, a time will come, and you must be honest with yourself as to whether or not this time has come for you, in which you can see that there is an ego resistance in a certain area and that you would be more peaceful if you were to walk consciously through that resistance and do this other thing, even though it's a little difficult for you to do it. I'll give you an example. It is good for me, it is good for my particular body to swim. I feel better in a number of ways if I swim. There was a very gracious uh, neighbor who uh, let me use his pool this summer. And so I had this pool all to myself. I could just go there and swim, you know. Nobody uh, tried to pinch an inch or anything, you see. That's, that comes from a commercial that you see about how much fat you have on your body. Um, I saw these horrified looks. <laughs> Now, um, it was very nice, So, but it got cold. I had to stop using the pool. Then there was this. Did you notice that the city built the dispensable church, a recreation center? Right now? <laughs> so you just go right down here to the detour sign. That's so other people, other churches can't get to it. See, the other churches are on that side of the detour sign. Our church is here. So what you do is you go down the detour sign, you take a left, and you'll see one of the most beautiful physical fitness complexes I've ever set eyes on. It's just magnificent. So uh, they called me and said, uh, your recreation center's ready. And, and said, <laughs> Mr. Prather. Um, so the question was, should I start swimming there? Well, for a while I didn't, and my body started complaining because I wasn't doing the swimming. Then I saw that there, it was difficult for me to go there. I must reveal my body in the men's room in order to uh, do this. Um, I, I must be humiliated by uh, youngsters who can swim twice as fast, and they do these, these flips up in the air as they come to the side of the pool and their turnarounds. There was a guy, I was swimming the other day, and there was a guy, and actually when I was swimming alongside him, I noticed I was swimming a little bit faster than he was, but then he would get to the end of the pool and he'd do one of these magical flips. And he was off several yards past me. This was, I, I knew I couldn't even try one of those flips because it's a shallow pool. and I would, you, know, you have to have a certain buoyancy, you see. Um, of course, it's more difficult. The more egos you're around, the more difficult it is. So I knew that there was some difficulty in this, uh, people not knowing what, what lane to stay in and so forth. And... Uh, uh, all kinds of, then the comments that you overhear. We've talked about this kind of thing that uh, goes on. And, of course, that makes it a little bit more difficult. My decision was to go ahead and do it anyway because the swimming was good for me. And so the bottom line is that this would add to my peace. And furthermore, when I made that decision, all the little things that might disturb me, like the conversations you overhear and uh, things that go on that you're 
personal ego doesn't approve of, and everybody's ego is different. You know, you would get if you were to listen into everyone's mind at a place like that, you would see that no one is really agreeing on what to disapprove of. But there's this, this general chatter that's going on about things not being right. Um, I noticed that having made the decision, it quieted down the ego resistance, so that the very things that would have disturbed me before disturbed me less because I consciously decided to walk through the resistance. If you could only eat one food and arrive home to God, would you eat only one food? Of course you would. Of course you would. You would eat only one food. Now suddenly you realize that there is one little food that you must not eat or one little drink you must not drink in order to be more peaceful. Is this a sacrifice? We make these things into such big problems, do you see? Yes, your body's reached a certain point where it can't have chili rellenos. Or the refried beans make you toot. <laughs> it didn't happen, didn't used to happen. But now it's happening. So what are you going to do about it? Oh, this is a sacrifice, my refried beans. It is not a sacrifice if you see the purpose. Don't you wish to go home? Don't you wish to draw near to heaven? Don't you want to feel God's blessing? Don't you want to communicate with your father? Don't you want to feel God say, I love you, my child? Don't you want your heart to sing? And so you go through that little resistance. But if the sacrifice increases, and if there's a burden now, and if there's a pall upon your life, then it is best not to do that. It's best to go ahead and eat the refined beans. Just don't come here. Now, um, going to sleep. I'm just going to tell you about a little technique that I'm using right at the moment. No magic in the technique. Remember, it doesn't matter what you do. I've said, and this is not an overstatement, that if you were to end the day properly and you were to begin the day properly, that would be a complete yoga. That would be the only thing you would need to do to go home. If you were to let go of everything that happened during the day, as best you could, as thoroughly as you could, and if you were to begin the day by setting your purpose firmly and strongly in your mind, and clearly in your mind, that would take you home. Of course you wish to make other efforts beside that, but that would be sufficient if it were, if it were well done. But it is, of course, difficult to let things go. Now, I discovered just recently that one of the reasons that it's difficult is that some of the things we're trying to let go of haven't been taken care of yet, and we know they have to be taken care of. So perhaps you haven't put uh, the uh, antifreeze in your car yet. Or you haven't, with me, it was a, it was a, a door outside I hadn't oiled. I had to, I had to get the uh, oil, log oil on it before winter came. Things like that. And suddenly you remember it. You forget it all during the day, and then you remember it just as you're going to sleep. And so what do you do? Now, these big uh, helium, I mean, hot air balloons in Albuquerque are a good image maker, for me at least. And that is, I just take the things that, uh, that are bothering me, 
I sit on the edge of my bed. I don't lie down because I orient my mind too too closely to sleep, I find. I, can't, I don't concentrate well enough if I lie down. But I sit on the edge of my bed just before I go to sleep. I take the things that I'm still hanging on to that have happened during the day, any disturbances whatsoever, and one by one I put them in to the... Uh, have I told you this image yet? Put them in the big uh, balloon. Now, I picture a great big uh, room off side of my room with all these uh, hot air balloons. And I picture that the roof can come open and they just go up, you see. Uh, you don't have to be that intricate. So I have different, because I have stripes and stars and so forth. So I pull one out, I put them in there. Let it go. Ah, but what about the things I need to take care of? What I found is that if I put a line on it, if I put a line on it, on that particular one, because that's got to be taken care of, and I let that one go up, until it's out of sight, but the cable is still there. You see, I have this hinge that I can roll it up when I need to take care of it. This has been very helpful to me to put the problems on a line in some way that have to be taken care of, but to still let them go. Now, why do I mention that? Because if you will do this in some happy, thorough way, this is a nice game for me. I like doing it. Remember, the way home to happiness is happiness. And so your work, your spiritual work, your prayer, your meditation must be as happy as God. Once your meditation becomes as happy as God, you will know nothing but God. And you will be one with your brothers and sisters who have already relinquished their egos, and you can now help the people who haven't yet done that, who haven't yet awakened. And that will be just a short time, we are told. Just a very short time until everyone wakes up and then you will enter what is traditionally called heaven. But we are told in A Course in Miracles that Jesus waits for us outside of heaven's gate, that Jesus himself and that other people who have relinquished their egos wait for us. What are sometimes called the higher teachers or the saints or the angels of heaven, whatever you wish to call those who are here to help us, Angels or whatever you wish. Thoughts of God. It makes no difference what you call them. They're here to help you. They wait. They will not leave you. And you will join them. That will be the first step. And you would like to do that, to be united with your family. And so you can do that. In part by practicing this letting go of the day. And this will weaken your ego tremendously because so much of your ego came about during the day, so much of your past was triggered. So for you to take the time and play some little thorough game with yourself and let it all go, and then return home for a moment, fall asleep and have the, 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 the feeling of returning home to your father, and then waking and immediately putting your mind on your single purpose of being good and kind and happy, of staying in the present, joining hands with God, and walking into his arms and his welcome. So let me summarize in this way. There are many tools. There are many techniques. We talked about uh, doing charts and past life, life regressions. We talked about... Uh, hypnotic trance that uh, taps the unconscious. We talked about uh, tarot readings. 
We talked about uh, the Ouija board and uh, many other things. There was a long list of uh, tools. And I told you the story of how my spiritual path began once again. Not that I hadn't been on it before, but that I'd fallen off for quite a long time, considered myself uh, a militant uh, atheist, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then, uh, because these friends had invited us to uh, sit around their kitchen table and put our hands on a water glass, uh, something very beautiful came through that. Now, as I also told you, uh, the book in which I described this uh, was uh, barred from many of the Christian bookstores because it was assumed that uh, only Satan would speak through a water glass. <laughs> I, know why. <laughs> I don't know what the reasoning there is, but uh, even though the message was only love, please love man. Love man, please love man. And all of that came for a half an hour or an hour. That was considered to be uh, satanic because it came through a water glass. Um, but if it hadn't been for the water glass, I wouldn't be standing here because it, it, it uh, jogged an ancient memory, which we all have within us. A homesickness, a longing for home. And I knew somehow that something knew me very well and had never left me even though I'd had out my anti-God uh, artillery and so forth. If that's what a militant atheist does, I'm not sure. What. <laughs> and so it is very important that we realize that all of these things and the things, the list uh, simply included tools are neutral. They are neither good nor bad. They will help or they will hinder depending upon the goodness of the person who is using the tool. There is no good or bad in a Ouija board or in a, a chart uh, or any of these other things. A good person, a kind person, can lead you to God or can at least start your journey using any of these tools. Now what is confusing, of course, is that some of the tools, I'm sure all of the tools, have been misused. And the longer the tool has been around, the more it has been misused, and so it, it begins to get a certain rep. But that does not change the fact that it is neither good nor bad. It is simply a tool. You have seen Charles Manson and Adolf Hitler use the Bible for what they did. That does not make the Bible a bad book because it was studied and read by the ego. And so there is no good or bad. And there are people, of course, who attend uh, the dispensable church who make their livelihood using one or more of these tools that we mentioned. We also uh, talked about uh, books of truth. But the ones that were in the list simply talked about the very uh, secret truths and the hidden truths and so forth. And there is, of course, a certain humor to, to that, that, uh, that these truths are secret and hidden and that uh, great study is required and so forth, when the whole truth is uh, 
love God with all your heart and soul, with all your mind, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself, or to row your boat gently down the stream, or to be happy and not worry. The truth is so simple that there is a certain humor in in pretending that it's very, very uh, occult and that it's very complicated and that we need uh, tremendous hours. But, of course, there is no harm in studying various statements of truth. No harm whatsoever. There's no harm in attending classes. The sole point that was being made was that the time must come in which you stop seeking more and more means to get home, to simply take whatever one seems best to you and begin your journey. And so, of course, A Course in Miracles has been, been misused. The only difference is that The Course in Miracles hasn't been around quite as long, and so it hasn't been misused quite as widely, but it will be. <laughs> and there's been a very good start made already. <laughs> that does not touch the gentleness and the peace and the sureness of step that A Course in Miracles offers you. Now, the dispensable church has simply settled on one means. It isn't the best means, but it's an adequate means. There is no best means, because the best means is personal. It's what helps you at this time to draw closer to God and to be kinder and to be a better person. That is the best one for you at this time. But it isn't perfect. You won't see it as perfect, at least. Course in Miracles is as close to a perfect statement of truth as you can come, but there are many such statements that are very, very pure simply as statements of truth, but the ego can misread them. And so we simply have settled on one particular way, one particular means, and that's the one that we come back to over and over again because there is no point in simply directing attention to more and more means. So it does not matter if you skip home or if you jog home or if you run home or if you roll home or if you row merrily home or if you walk home or if you hang glide home. <laughs> so you just pick your way and you begin because you realize that an endless search for ways is a delaying tactic of the ego and you wish to delay no longer. 